Whatever Wednesday. Welcome, Andre, to Whatever Wednesday. How are you? I'm doing all right, Brad. Got a bit, got a bit of a cold, a bit sore from judo, but other than that, I'm all good. No ways. We must. Uh, I got a cold too. What? How do we? Maybe this podcasting thing is maybe <laughs> it's contagious. Man. Contagious. Wow. It's coming coming through the airwaves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Nice. No, so, but hey, podcasting's not for the weak. No. It certainly isn't. It takes some commitment. I tell you. But. Uh, I'm just thankful for medication. Yes. I love pills. Common mm. grace. Mm. You know? Well, yeah, exactly. Common grace. Exactly. Ooh, need it. That, that, uh, that Lemsip, Lemsip Max. Oh, oh that Lemsip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How can you do without Lemsip? I mean, it, it's a frightening thought that they just didn't have that kind of thing a while ago. Yeah, like you just have to like rough it. You oh, know? I don't think I'd make it a day in the ancient world. Nope. And by the ancient world, I mean like a hundred years ago. Yeah, I mean that's ancient. But hey, they uh, they obviously just didn't know the strains of man flu that we now have. Yeah, I mean they they would never know the kind of suffering that we now. All villages in Africa would have been done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. If only they knew the travail that we got that we're under. The modern yeah. day, the twenty first century man flu. It's something, something. Yeah. Well, they say you just take childbirth. And then you sort of multiply by 10, you get to sort of the, the pains of man flu. Which I'm now experiencing and podcasting with. There you go. <laughs> Serious bro force style. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Good. Uh, enough talk. Mm. Right. So what are, what's what are uh, what's been going on with you? Oh, man, I got so much so much uh, stuff I have wanting to talk about, actually. Okay. Because Good sermon because it's basically all about sex, right? Oof. Um, and what's really cool is that we're discussing in our small groups as well. <laughs> so, it's, so if it wasn't awkward enough in a big group with just me speaking, now we're going to do it in sort of small intimate spaces. Um, but uh, the British don't handle this kind of thing very well, Mike. That's 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 the thing. Man. But what I really wanted to talk about um, and ask you about was chap- uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Mm-hmm. 14. Chapter 7, verse 14, which talks about the... For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his yes. wife. And That's the unbelieving right. wife is made holy because of her husband. Um, mm-hmm. ooh, 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 sorry. Sorry, amateur hour. All my um, all my little bells are ringing over here. Um, Facebook, Facebook, Fine, yeah. Facebook. Wow. Can you... Okay. Let me just turn. Do not disturb. There we go. Sorry, guys. Um, and... Uh, otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Verse 16, the key. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Proceed with your question, brother. <laughs> My question is this, Michael. Mm. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 14, in particular... Uh, the bit that I am concerned with is otherwise your children would be unclean, mm-hmm. but as it is, they are holy. Mm-hmm. Now, I know how our Presbyterian brothers would interpret this. Right. 
Um, my question is, how does a 1689 Reformed Baptist interpret 7 verse 14? Well, I, you know, I, I can speak on behalf of a two-age sojourner. How's that sound? Well, yeah, that sounds good. All right, cool. Um, well, I would say just everyone has to consider that what's what's being said here. I mean, you know, you have people that become Christians uh, and they have, um, you know, unbelieving wives, perhaps before they became Christians or whatever, or, you know, and they, they, they're in the situation that's just been described. Uh, and then they're reading through Ezra or they perhaps are aware of the Old Testament and, you know, those theocratic ideas. And um, we know that Ezra is pulling his beard out over such things and told the people to put away their wives, their unbelieving wives and children. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you could, you know, you're working through this whole thing. You're a zealous new believer. You're wanting to be more spiritual, you know, as the rest of the, the letter would indicate. You're, you're trying to excel your brother in spirituality, even to the point of thinking of yourself as more than him. And you could see how people are saying, well, well, hey, uh, you know, you think that's spiritual. You, you speak in tongues. Well done. But, you know, I've actually put my wife away, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. I've, um, and I yeah. don't even talk to my child. How holy am I? You know, yeah. and, um, and, and, and then the pastor will ask, well, why is that? Um, well, because, you know, um, that's, what, that's what Ezra said we should do. And, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, people, people from, um, you know, any superficial reading, of any any text like that is going to get them into trouble, or any hearing of any text like that, and and just wanting to to run with some sort of supervisual version of holiness, I think would get them into trouble at that level. But what I was going to say is, um, the whole thing is really best understood as a as a kind of response to that, where um, you know I've, I remember once preaching a sermon on this called the redemptive rule of thumb, in that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know those under the gospel, you know firstly. The reason why it relates to the two-edged sojourner thing, I think, is that, you know, we're not in a theocratic principle right now we're, or a land principle. We're under a pilgrim principle, which means that, you know, we're, Jeremiah, we're, we're listening to Jeremiah telling us how to live our lives as we go into Babylon. We're not necessarily um, as concerned with um, Ezra's instruction, which is exactly contrasted to Jeremiah's as they come back mm-hmm. into the land as exiles you know and it, it's 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 quite striking when you when you read the two texts but um, but we're what we're worried about then is how the the gospel can go forward and how we can uh, be used as Paul says there to to be a sanctifying influence to our wife and family but of course none of that matter as we think about evangelism you you just you don't um, it doesn't matter if if something's a good evangelistic opportunity if it's just straight up forbidden, right? And um, and so Paul's yeah. just dealing with this thing and saying, no, it's not forbidden, and it is in fact, uh, you know, God, God, you you don't know what God would do, and certainly it's uh, you know the fact that your spouse, if they're willing to stay with you, um, you know, they shouldn't be put away. And the the marriage, what he's talking about with the holiness angle there is that the marriage itself is is legitimate. It's something that is uh, endorsed by God. Um, you're not forbidden from being for uh, from being married um, simply because your spouse is not a believer. Um, you know it's mm-hmm. it's actually mm-hmm. so forceful. and obviously, you know what probably is in mind here is people, already having been married and then having been, become Christians. But it is worth mentioning, it's so forceful that John Gill, for example, used this exact verse 
to um, yeah. argue that, in fact, you know, he's not so quick to, to say Christians can't marry unbelievers. Um, you know, and I don't follow him all okay, the way yeah, there, yeah. but it is just, it's, you know, that's what's being, that's what's in view. Because you yeah. could take this, I guess, to, to say, well, what if you're a Christian dating a non-Christian and your hope is that you would save them? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like evangelism through marriage kind of, kind totally. of thing. And there are lots of people like that. There are lots totally. of people who genuinely um, get involved in these relationships. I know they're not Christians. Yes, mm-hmm. I do want them to be Christians. Mm-hmm. But maybe through our relationship, we can influence them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that does happen. Sometimes mm-hmm. it goes that way. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Sometimes it doesn't, though. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, we had uh, we had a friend of ours, uh, you know, been married for a long time, you know, older Christian saying, you know, with kind of tears pleading with us as younger Christians not to marry non-Christians because she said, I love my husband, you know, I've been devoted to him. And, um, but if I could go back, I would not have married him because yeah. he wasn't a Christian, you know? Totally. Um, so yeah, th- there's that, there's the question. Now, I mean, obviously, cause I'm thinking a lot about hermeneutics anyway, mm-hmm. I'm wondering um, if this isn't a good case study of the limitations of um, the kind of grammatical, historical um, way of interpreting Scripture. So obviously yeah. grammatic, grammatical historical is good. That's the kind of, the you know, take the Bible literally within its context and applying the rules of grammar and so on. Mm-hmm. Um uh, that's good. Nobody denies that it's a bad thing to do. It's just whether or not it stops there, whether or not you need more. Mm. Uh, so that plus something else in order to interpret the passage. And I'm thinking, strictly speaking, when Paul is used, you know, Haggai, um, or the, the, the term for holy, or uh, it's sometimes interpreted as con- uh, not consecrated. What's the other, uh, the other verb it uses in the NIV? Ah, sanctified that's mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. um so holy or sanctified up until this point every time he's used it has been in connection with the saved versus the unsaved mm-hmm. so strictly speaking exegetically you'd yep. expect that when he uses the term your children are not unclean mm. they are holy mm-hmm. to carry the same weight as the way he's been using it, sort of mm-hmm. like a, a consistent use of the word, right? Right. But v- almost nobody interprets it that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Not, not even those who otherwise. are. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, because you even they even if they say they should have a place within the covenants, it shows that they're covenant children. Yeah. That's actually a different sense to the way Paul's been using the word anyway, because mm-hmm. he's been saying. No, not just not just part of a covenant where they may or may not be saved. Mm-hmm. The way he's been using the word up until this point has been to kind of demarcate God's people from the people who are not God's people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah. So I, I think that you get this is this is quite an interesting example of saying how um, you have to allow your understanding of the whole context of scripture, you have to allow your understanding of theology to come to help you at this point, you know, to rule out the areas where we know, look, he could not be saying this because that would just be inconsistent with other things he's said elsewhere or other things the Bible teaches elsewhere. Um, And so you can't go for the straightforward literalistic holy 
um, in the same sense as he uses it in chapter one. Right. Kind of thing. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's big. I mean, it, especially if, um, you know, I think a lot of historical grammatical exegesis usually does allow for a hermeneutical process that incorporates systematic theology, right? Uh, well, it depends. So, um, in reform circles, yes, but right. outside of reform circles, no. Yeah, but I mean, they say no, but they do it as well. They do it anyway. Like they, yeah. they obviously do do it. But yeah. certainly, in terms of a redemptive, and I think that's that's the point. That sorry, go. Yeah. Well, you know, like that was the whole thing about Moises, <laughs> Moises Silver. Yeah. Um. He he um he made the point that listen, you you have to read the Bible theologically because you're going to anyway. So you may as well be conscious of the, of the, the theology you're bringing to the text and be deliberate about it and be careful about it rather than just pretend it's not happening. And therefore, and then do it sort of trying to convince yourself that you're not doing it. Mm. Um, that, that was his whole point that actually to be a responsible exegete, you have to acknowledge that you're bringing theology to the text yeah. and that that theology can really sometimes be helpful. You know, whether it's systematics or whether it's a biblical theology, you know, the whole redemptive historical scope. Mm. Um, yeah, because even, I mean, some of the hardcore um, non-reformed evangelicals will, uh, will not even allow for things like biblical theology. Mm. or the New Testament use of the old or anything like that to factor mm. into their historical grammatical exegesis. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it just depends. It depends. Mm. It's about just switching gears for a second. It's a powerful passage, this one. Um, because I, th- and the reason, you know, just moving from a, a situation where, uh, perhaps there is, um, you know, let, let's take, for example, a, woman who was married to um, an unbelieving man. Both of them weren't Christians. She becomes a Christian. You often come across situations like this. Mm-hmm. And, and now she's, you know, do, coming to church alone or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's made a, it's been difficult for their marriage. The, yeah. You know, this would obviously speak to them and say, well, don't, don't leave, you know, don't be crazy. Um, you know, stay, stay. Well, I mean, often, often husbands will just say, okay, well then just, you know, be gone with you then. Hmm. And as Paul says, there's no unreasonableness here. You don't have to kind of stay when someone doesn't want you kind of thing, you know? Um, but it, it's, um, you know, as, as much, you know, if, if you have a husband that's, that's willing to walk the walk with you, even if he, he's not coming to church mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you've got a family, um, I mean, do you not know that, that your presence in that family might well be the instrument through which, you know, um, the, a sanctifying presence, but but even an instrument through which the gospel could be brought to that household and uh, salvation could occur. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's really powerful. And I think the way that, uh, you know, that what Paul is doing there is he's just applying that thing that, that makes every new Christian, a new covenant Christian tick. It's just going mm-hmm. right now, like, you know, whatever you are, you know, as long as they will have you stay and, yeah. you know, be that sanctifying influence in that place that would otherwise have no light and no salt. And, yeah. and who, you know, Christian, uh, how do you not know, uh, whether, mm-hmm. you know, how do you know that God won't use you in this way? And, um, and you, you know, and I just think about how relevant that is. I remember working at, uh, one of the restaurants that I was working at, uh, before going into, uh, ministry, 
mm-hmm. you know, just as a Christian, it was very, very difficult, very sort of, um, I don't know, challenging atmosphere. And and um, just, I suppose, me just not wanting to be part of that sinful lifestyle anymore. Um, and yet I knew, I knew that I was the only conversation any of these people were going to get concerning the yeah. gospel at that point. And yeah. um, texts like this are just very, very helpful in just helping you to stick that out. You know, I mean, it's often, everyone knows what it's like to go to work and endure blasphemy and swearing and, yeah. you know, just, just obtrusive behavior and ridicule even for your faith. And, and uh, you know, that's why people want to leave and start the little Christian ghetto thing. You know, let's yeah. start a Christian yeah, workplace and a Christian office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and it, this this verse really touches all of that. It, it's saying, don't do yes. that. Don't start your own Christian gym. Go to the yeah. non go to the non Christian gym if they'll have you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't start a Christian coffee shop. Go to the go to Starbucks or you know, um, don't you don't have to start start a Christian shopping mall. Don't wear a Christian t shirt. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. It just it feels like it really does speak into that two edged sojourning vibe um, quite a bit. Because the intention is to create a witness, doesn't it? Yeah. To create a, a kind of a solid Christian witness that the world can then look at. But ironically, it means means that you cut out all interaction between Christians and non-Christians yeah. in the normal round the water cooler sort of environment, yeah. whether it's at a sports club or at workplace or, uh, or whatever it is. <clears throat> and but, so, yeah, yeah, it is, it's it, it, cause that, that's the whole theme about chapter seven, isn't it? Stay it is. as you are, yeah. be faithful in the circumstance that you find yourself in, yes. whether you're a slave, whether you're circumcised, right. um, whether you're married, whether you're unmarried, whatever your circumstance, just seek to live as a blood-bought Christian. Mm. Um, and who knows what impact that will have. Yeah. And I think the big thing is also, you know, he's anticipating the the discomfort involved there, you know, it's, you know, yeah. it, it you could see how people would want to use Christianity to lessen their discomfort in the situation. Well, if I don't yeah. even have a Christian wife, well, I might as well just get divorced in the name of Christianity, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if I, you know, hey, I've got an opportunity to revolt and sort of, you know, one-up my status in society. Um, but yeah. to 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 keep going in my same scenario is difficult. And, and to you know, to think about Christianity not having allowed me an opportunity to move away from this, but even bringing me to have to endure this as far as possible. I mean, that's tough. And yet, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's it's the Christian thing, but precisely because that's exactly what we're called to. It's exactly what Jesus uh, did for us. You know, he yeah. he uh, yeah. he gave up his his throne in glory. Uh, he took upon himself our sin. He entered into our messiness. He endured uh, our suffering uh, as he was mm-hmm. sent. So we are sent. And um, yeah. And the, you know, Paul is picking up on that. You know, he's don't let comfort rule the day. What 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 should rule the day is this last verse that we read there in sixteen. How do you not know that you might not be used? I'm using a double negative there. How I'm not saying yeah. it as eloquently as Paul said it, but how you know how, how are you just so quickly dismissing the the possibility? Well, how do you know, husband, whether how, you will save your wife? Right, right. Um, you know, just just shouldn't that be the most important, awesome thing that that could come of that scenario? Mm, shouldn't yeah. you be willing to just completely do whatever needs to be done? just to be there yeah. if that might happen yeah. you know it's worth just the big if even if the lord would use it yeah. that way and um you know i think of those those early new test oh, not new testament but 
post post first century sort of Christians selling themselves into slavery to reach slaves, yeah. you know, even just yeah. taking it at one step further, um, all just driven by the gospel. It's amazing, isn't it? And mm. the, the, we had a guy in our church recently who, um, was rejoicing and, and because he'd been praying for his son for 20 years. Wow. For 20 years, he'd been praying for his, his son who kind of got baptized or something, made, made a commitment at some point, and then had f- sort of fallen away completely. And that was like 20 years ago. Hmm. He spent 20 years praying for this dude every day. Wow. And 20 years later, he joined the church, recommitted his life to the Lord, you know, just going, you know, solid, solid Christian now. But I mean, I think that's the that's the kind of patient endurance that we're called to in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Mm. It's not to think that, oh, maybe it's in, in a few months or a few weeks or mm. or even a few years. It could be like a lifetime thing. It could be something you never see in your lifetime. Mm. Um, you just do not know how the Lord's going to be at work. But mm. yeah. Totally. Well, hey, I know we, uh, we've got to do another recording. You've got something to go, uh, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. to go and do. So let's wrap this one up. Um, and hopefully that's helpful to you listening in uh, stay tuned and uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow well you know don't stay tuned right now press you know (laughs) go do something else and we'll see you in 24 hours is that do you think I mean you know not 24 hours exactly I mean whenever you want to no no I mean more like 12 hours more like 12 more like 12 you know 12 and you don't have to really tune in either you just it's kind of like one, one season of Sons of Anarchy or something. And and yeah, it's it's undermined, so you don't don't feel the need to like you don't have to come back in that twenty four. You can do it whenever you want. No. It's undermined. I guess. It's, it's a podcast, I guess you not could a radio listen station. To it whenever you want it, really. There's no pressure. You don't even have to listen to it. But anyway, so No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, gotta work at that smooth act. Uh, outro born for radio people born for radio all right uh (laughs) goodbye and good night